and welcome to mini episode 24 of Real Life Ghost Stories. Oh, you do. We have got three listener stories for you today. Exciting. I don't know why I'm doing my announcer voice, but here we are. I am just doing it. I'm just going to uh, turn the page on my notebook. Dan is, he would otherwise wants to let you know that he is taking notes. I, Bim is currently lying in front of the fridge. Because she's so hungry. She's been fed three times today. And, times. and she has literally lain down in front of the fridge. Like she can her legs cannot possibly carry her any further. Anyway, story number one today comes from Janice. Are you ready? No. I have a thing about Ouija boards. Oh, <laughs> come on. I'm absolutely terrified of them. I don't even allow them in my house or near my person. I shut it down if someone even jokes about bringing one into my house and have gone so far as to threaten their life with a spoon and battery acid should they attempt it. Sensible. It's almost irrational. The fear stems from when I was a child. I was always a bit of a morbid child and have consistently believed in the afterlife, aliens, ghosts and ghoulies. My mother was a single mother who finished nursing school when I was two. I was raised by both my grandmother and my mum. Even though we lived in the heart of the Bible Belt in southern Louisiana, we were never very faithful churchgoers. When I was about ten, we lived in a very small town, even more religious than my hometown, and I had to stay with a paid babysitter during the summer months. I was a fairly responsible kid and was often left to my own devices but the summer months were difficult as my mom worked 12-hour shifts. She didn't feel comfortable leaving me alone for such an extended length of time. I was staying with the babysitter Kelly, who, mind you, was 15 or 16 at the time, and we ended up going to one of her friends' house with a couple of other girls. Kelly decided that we should all play a game. Now, it's important to note that I had never had an experience with the Ouija board, and had no preconceived notions of it. It was never mentioned in my family, so it wasn't even a thing for me. This is exactly what a friend decided to pull out of the closet. To give you an idea of what things looked like, this apartment was a small typical layout of most American apartments, with a door entering into the living room, having open access to the kitchen, and a hallway running between the interior wall of the kitchen and the smaller bedroom of the apartment, leading to the whole bathroom at the end of it. Sorry for the run-on. Besides myself, there were four teenage girls giggling and lounging around a coffee table. I was sitting on the end of the couch, directly across from the hallway. I was avoiding the girls, as they were a bit of the mean girl types, and liked to tease me because I was a serious and quiet child with few friends due to the overly religious segregated community. When Kelly's friend Quinn pulled out the Ouija board, I distinctly remember getting a sick feeling in my stomach. I just immediately knew that this thing was not something I wanted to be a part of. The girls went through all the motions with darkening the windows and pulling out candles, shining flashlights under their chins to highlight their faces and making an overall joke of what they were doing. I stayed on the couch and refused to join in the fun, which irritated Quinn. So she made conversation with the others that I could tell was meant to scare me. It didn't help that the board she was holding scared me more than her failed attempts at being spooky. As the girls got into asking random questions and squealing every time the planchette moved, 
I kept my spot on the couch and tried to not beg to go home. I would have just pissed the girls off and gotten even more teasing. After one of the questions, I can't remember what it was, I was staring into the kitchen as every single cabinet opened at once and two of the kitchen pots flung out of a lower cabinet. Of course, the stereotypical screaming and hollering started from the girls, while I just curled in on myself and started crying. Things calmed down a few minutes later, and one of the dimwits cajoled the rest of the girls to keep playing. I'm pretty positive I was frozen in place, with my eyes bugging out of my skull at this. What she kept saying was that it had to be a prank. One of their brothers must have heard their plans and set them up. She didn't bother to realise that we were the only five people in the house and I had a full and complete view of the kitchen the entire time this mess went down. No one and nothing was physically in that kitchen to cause the damn pots to fly out of the cabinets. I kept my mouth shut and kept silently crying while the game continued. I'm not sure how long after they started up again I got brave enough to take my eyes off the view of the kitchen and looked into the hallway. The pitch black hallway. With two red eyes glaring straight at me from the end of it. I ran out of the apartment as fast as I could. And my mother couldn't convince me to return to Kelly's house after that. I started staying by myself during the summers that year. I found out a few years later as we moved away from the town that the apartment we had been in was the site of a murder-suicide a few years prior to that day. Apparently a couple and their young son lived there. The father had a drinking problem and was cleaning his gun while drunk. He accidentally shot his child and then hung himself in the hallway afterwards. His wife came home from work and found them like that. Ouija boards are an absolute no-go in my home. I can't look at one of the damn things without that terror washing through me. I'm pretty sceptical of most people's ghost stories, haunted houses and whatnot. Even after experiencing what I went through. I'm no longer terrified of things of that nature and like to have pretty solid evidence before I'll consider the idea that it could be real. But I do know there are things in this world that we shouldn't mess with because we just don't fully understand them. Opening yourself up to that realm without knowing what your faith and truth are is asking for things to fuck with you. Since then, I've always listened to that sick feeling I get in my stomach. It always happens before something bad happens. My mom having been in a car accident, my aunt passing away from breast cancer, shady people that I've met. And that sick feeling in my stomach has never failed me. Oh, I need to shake that story out. Mm. Ugh. That's a nice move you got going on there. Thanks, I'm doing some <laughs> shaking moves to cleanse myself of that story. Yeah, not a fan of that one. It's a good story, but it's, I don't like Ouija boards. No, and I and like I know I'm really sceptical of Ouija boards, yeah. and I'm like, oh, it was a dating game, blah, 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 blah. But if you put a Ouija board on this table right now and you said, hey, let's play, I'd be like, sure, yeah, I'll play. But if anything happened... I, I'd shit myself. Yeah. I'd be so frightened. I'd also not ever do that. No, I know you would never do that. I know that's <laughs> never a possibility in this house. Like, I get it. And also, I wouldn't, 
want it to be a possibility in this house. So there's obviously something in me that yeah. is frightened of the Ouija board if I'm like, yeah, I don't want it in the house. I just feel like it's one of those things that it might not have ever been in, like its initial intentions might have been for something else, but I just feel like it, we're at a point now where it could be used for the wrong thing. Like you, you just, you don't know what's going on there. That's the point. That's what, that's the point I'm trying to make. We've seen enough horror films. Ouija board never ends well. Just talking to my dad about it is, is enough to put me off that for life as well. Yeah, Steve would be really annoyed at me if I yeah. brought home a Ouija board, so not gonna <laughs> not gonna do that. Yeah. Yeah, not nice. And all the cupboards opening as well. That's and like and you can see like as a if you were a ten year old child who's already out of place and you've got some bitchy girls who are like taking the piss out of you a little mm. bit, how do you explain to them? How do you find your voice to tell them what you've just seen? When it's so yeah, out of the realms of possibility do, anyway. To be honest. You know, so I can I understand why she was like, I'm just going to curl up in a ball and cry. Yeah. Because what the fuck else do you yeah. do? Yeah. What do you do? Well, I don't. That's probably what I do, to be fair. We'll light a match. Are you ready for another story? Nope. Story number two comes from Natalie. Back when I was about 22, I'm 35 now. My two best friends and I moved to a house in London, Ontario. My friend Steve was in school. Melanie was working and I didn't really have any plan or reason to move there other than to get out on my own for the first time. So I found a job working at a Scottish pub. The house that we rented was the smallest house on the entire street. The whole neighbourhood was filled with big beautiful Victorian homes as it was in an older part of the city. All the homes had been kept up nicely, some transformed into apartments or office buildings. And then there was our house. It almost stuck out like a sore thumb. That's how out of place it was compared to these three and four storey homes. Not much upkeep on the outside thanks to our landlord. Really no significance to the story but I'm just setting the scene. The first really strange thing that I noticed and didn't really associate this with the house at all was that my boyfriend at the time would always fall ill while he was there visiting. Almost every time. And I lived there for seven months. One day Melanie was giving Brody a haircut in the kitchen. When he suddenly started to feel unwell. It got to the point where his face turned green. Mel stopped the haircut so he could deal with this sudden feeling of nausea. They decided to go outside to finish the haircut quickly. And the minute he stepped outside, he instantly felt better. He stayed outside a bit longer after the cut to regroup. When he came back in, the colour in his face went again. No one could really figure out why he was feeling the way he was. And everyone else felt fine. So Brody went back outside and spent most of the evening out there. Maybe the fresh air was helping. Maybe there was an odour in the house that was bugging him like a scented candle. No idea, but I think we thought of just about everything and could not come up with an answer, other than maybe it was a stomach flu. Which wouldn't make a ton of sense, seeing as how it happened multiple times. This happened to one of his friends that he brought with him to spend the night as well. After Brody had another evening of feeling sick, and in fact even skipping going to the bar for the night because of it, his friend woke up the next morning and could hardly move. 
He said sure he'd have some drinks the night before, but not enough to make it so he couldn't even roll over in the bed. He felt awful. He didn't even get up until the car was running and him and Brody left to drive the hour back to our hometown. And he never came back with Brody to visit again. That wasn't the only thing that affected Brody in the house. I only had a single bed at the time, so a few times Brody ended up on the couch because it was a little tight to sleep in the same bed. One morning I woke up to him climbing back into bed with me, and it was like he was in a hurry. I asked him what was wrong, and he said, I've just had the creepiest dream, but I'm not really sure it was a dream. He explained to me that he had a dream that a man walked in the front door, wearing a trench coat and a top hat, and a giant German shepherd dog followed him him and came right over to Brody. He said the man just kept walking, straight from the front door, through the living room and into the kitchen. Brody said he sat up onto the couch to pet the dog, and then he woke up. He said he woke up doing a petting motion, and realised nothing was there. He chalked it up to a weird dream, but when he drifted off again, the same thing happened. But this time he said he had barely even laid back down when it happened again. The man walked through the house, and the dog came to him, and he was sitting up again, petting the dog. He said he snapped out of it and ran back into my bedroom. He was actually really shaken up, because it seems so real. There might be a logical explanation about all of that, but when we looked back on it, it was strange how the house affected him, and anyone that he brought there. Another strange occurrence was the dryer, which turned on by itself. One day, Mel, Steve and I were all home. Mel came into my room and asked if I was doing laundry, She wanted to put a load in the washer, but was making sure I didn't have clothes waiting to go into the dryer when it was done. I said I wasn't doing laundry. And she said, okay, Steve must be then. She called up the stairs to Steve, whose bedroom was in the loft. He came down the stairs to talk to her, and she asked about the laundry. He said, I haven't done any laundry today. So Mel asked, then who turned on the dryer? We were all standing in the kitchen at this point, dead silent, as we could all hear the rumbling of the dryer down in the basement. We all looked at each other with that what-the-fuck look on our faces. Mel thought he was joking, and we all had to again reiterate the fact that none of us had been doing laundry that day, at all. We kind of freaked out. We decided it would be a group effort to all go and check out the creepy, dank, basically dirt floor basement. With my friends right behind me, I grabbed the basement door to open it. I got it open about an inch, and the dryer stopped. We had to stand there for a second to muster up the courage to go down there. When we finally did, I opened the dryer, and sure enough, it was warm, but empty. From that day on, no one did laundry if they were alone in the house. This other incident happened to Mel and I, and we still shudder when we talk about it. One evening, we were standing in the kitchen talking. I was by the sink, 
and Mel was leaning up against the stove. I just need to explain the layout of the kitchen for a sec. Mel was leaning on the stove, and to her right would have been the fridge. However, there is a gap between the two appliances, a spot wide enough for a case of beer to slide in between, which is obviously exactly where we kept it. But there was no case there at the time. So Mel has her back against the stove leaning on it, and I'm right across the kitchen from her. As we are talking, we get laughing about something, and suddenly an empty bottle comes crashing down on the stove from the top of the fridge. I watched as it almost took a leap from the fridge, about a foot and a half to come crashing down on the stove right behind Mel. I thought she was going to have a heart attack, and we both screamed at the top of our lungs. I told her what I saw, and we were so spooked we ran upstairs to Steve's room to tell him what happened. Now, I'm a pretty logical person, so of course I was thinking, okay, let's figure out how that happened. I thought about the stove, touching a case of beer, which was touching the fridge, and thought Mel was laughing, so maybe it moved the stove, and that rubbed against the beer case, which shook the fridge, but no case of beer. Also, even if it had shook the fridge a little bit, the bottle would have just fallen over and probably landed in the gap between the fridge and the stove, not flown over almost two feet to land on the stove. We really have no explanation from it. And from then on, we knew something was going on in the house. Luckily, I ended up being too homesick to stay there for very long, so I moved back home. It might not be the creepiest story you've ever heard, but it's been my one and only encounter with something possibly supernatural. With Brody always being sick, to the dryer starting on its own, I feel like there was something going on there that I have no explanation for. I'd say that was creepy. Yeah, I'd shit myself. <laughs> like, I mean, she is right. It's one thing something falling off the top of a fridge. Like, it would give you such a fright. Yeah. But you'd be like, okay, but if you were physically watching as it leaped or was launched from the fridge. It's like there's a lot of CCTV footage on YouTube of, like, haunted bars. And sometimes you see glasses being pushed off and you're like, yeah, that just wasn't stacked very well. Or yeah, or it's vibrations or, very, yeah. yeah. But then other times you see them and they're launched. Yeah. And that's when it's like, okay, nope, I'm done. Well, they've had it at the Tyler's Kiln, haven't they, yeah. in Canterbury? And no, you didn't see a ghost there. I, I refute that claim. I did. We just need to find that family. It, there was photographic evidence from that family. But they had have footage of all sorts of crazy stuff on their CCTV cameras. And I don't really, I don't think it's a marketing ploy because they're an incredibly successful business yeah. anyway. There'd be kind of no need for them to try and drum up business that way. I did message them, by the way, and asked if we could go and investigate and they haven't responded to me. So We can't go anywhere at the moment anyway. I know, but <laughs> if you're listening, Tyler's killing. But even the dryer turning on is creepy. Particularly as it stopped when it opened the door. Can you? I can. I can. And it just, was in the basement. In my head, I was picturing the, the three of them standing in the kitchen in silence, listening to the dryer going off in the basement, going, "But who the fuck turned it on?" Yeah. And I could feel their anxiety about it. I've got one more story for you today. Just checking on my notes to make sure you hadn't missed anything that I wanted to speak about. The last story today. Mm-hmm comes from Ali. Okay. 
The following stories are ones that were passed to me by my mother, who is also now deceased, and I'm honoured to be able to share them with you now. They are about my grandfather Mario, who died two months after I was born, in November of 1987. Before he got sick, Mario was a big, boisterous man who was full of personality. After my older brother was born in 1984, every time my grandfather would come into my parents' house, he would swing open the screen door and yell, Patrick, my boy! And my brother would be usually in his high chair in the dining room facing the front door and he would get so excited. He would laugh and point to the door and reach his arms up waiting for Grandpa Mario to pick him up and spin him around in a circle over his head. My mother told me this had been routine multiple days a week until my brother was about two and a half years old and my mom was about six months pregnant with me. That was the time he started to fall pretty ill. As I established above, he was in the hospital when I was born. Around four months after he died, my mother was busy in the kitchen. I sat in the high chair that used to belong to my brother while he sat on the dining room table facing the front door playing with his matchbox cars. He was about three years old now and was waiting while my mom finished up so we could all leave to go to the park so he could play. My mother couldn't see the front door from the kitchen but says that suddenly the house got quiet and she heard the familiar sound of the screen door being whipped open while my brother began to laugh. When she came round the corner, he was still laughing. His arms outstretched, and the screen door was swinging back and forth. She touched his shoulder and asked why he was laughing. And with a smile, he looked at her and said, He came back, Mommy. Pop came back to see us. She said when she looked back at the door after Patrick said that to her, the screen door was stuck in the middle between being opened and closed, as if someone was holding the door. She said she knew then that it was her father. So with tears welling, she waved her hand and said, I love you, Dad. And slowly the door came forward and closed with a soft click. My grandfather was married three times which, for his generation, was fairly scandalous. That said, this story is why I believe, with my whole heart, that my grandmother Josephine, who gave me my middle name, was his truest love and ultimate soulmate. Josephine had passed away in 1967, and a few years later, Mario got remarried to a lady named Lucky. She was a lovely woman, and they were together a very long time, and I knew her as a grandmother until she passed when I was seven years old. In 1987, when my grandfather was hospitalised, he had visitors in and out all of the time. We had come from a fairly large family, and he had had a lot of support. So it would not have been unusual for my mom to arrive, and someone was there chatting with him. One afternoon, my mom got to the hospital, and was met in the lobby by Lucky, who had been in the cafeteria trying to find herself something to eat. They walked back up to the room together, and when they got to the door, they could hear that my grandfather was having a conversation with someone. My mom knocked, but he didn't respond. But they could still hear the muffled conversation. Wondering if a doctor was in there with him, she opened the door slowly 
and made her way in to find my grandfather sitting up in his bed. But he was completely alone. He was facing the opposite way and had his left hand outstretched onto the handle of the chair that sat empty next to him. My mom came closer and said, Hey, Dad. And he slowly turned around and smiled at her. Del, he said with a smile as she came over and kissed his forehead. She asked him if he had been talking to someone, and he turned his head again to the other side of his bed and said, Well, yes, I'm talking to my wife. It was at this time that Lucky chimed in. She had been standing behind my mom the entire time. She came around to the end of the bed and said, Mario, what do you mean? I'm your wife. He shook his head as if dismissing what she had said and replied, No, I'm talking to Joe. She's sitting right here. He pointed again to the empty chair next to him. When I was in my 20s, before I started dating my current partner, Will, I lived by myself in the little apartment. Back in those days, I smoked weed on a semi-regular basis and typically kept a little supply. I didn't smoke much each day, so it usually took a long time for me to run out. But when I did need stuff, I would always go to see my friend named Brandon. Brandon had been selling to my best friend and I since we were juniors in college. And aside from the fact that he did this thing that at the time was very illegal, he was a really sweet guy and a really great friend. Every time my best friend and I would go to his place, we would hang out and he would play video games with us and he would tell us all the crazy stories going on in his life. He was just a good guy with a good personality. One day, after a few weeks had gone by and neither of us had heard from him or heard back from him after reaching out, we began to worry, so we went to his place. It was on his front doorstep that we saw candles and flowers. Horrified, we went to Google and found that our charming friend had been murdered just two weeks before, with the details unknown. We drove home that day, heartbroken over the fact that he was gone. And since it had been a little while, we had missed the services, which made us feel even worse. As we approached my house, my friend said that she had a photo of him in her phone from our last visit. It was a goofy picture, him in a funny shirt holding a bag of candy, both of which we had given him for his birthday. But it was all him. We decided we had to go pay our respects to our friend. So we placed the phone with the photo, a cigarette lit in an ashtray, he was a smoker, and the herb grinder he had given me that looked like a stack of poker chips, all on the table and said a prayer. We turned off the light over my dining room table and holding hands over the belongings that reminded us most of him said goodbye to our friend. We told him we were sorry about what happened to him and that we would miss him so much and that we hoped that wherever he was he was okay and he was happy. We let the candle burn and sat there talking about him when suddenly the chandelier above the table flashed three times. I stood up and checked the switch which was still off on the wall. I looked up at the ceiling and said, Brandon, if that was you, we'll miss you, buddy. And the lights flickered again, three times. 
My mother died in September of 2016. She was 65 years old and when she died she had been really sick. She was so ashamed of what disease had done to her that she didn't even want to have a viewing for her at the funeral. She just wanted to be cremated. I wouldn't say that she was vain, but she was just never confident in her appearance. Being a bigger woman, self-confidence was hard for her. And after being so sick for so long, she just wanted people to remember her at her healthiest. After she died, I had a really hard time sleeping. My mind was everywhere, and there were so many emotions that it was hard to handle. So I began using a melatonin supplement to help me fall asleep. The night of her funeral, I was so exhausted, but still I had trouble going to sleep. So I took my melatonin and laid down in my room. As I dreamt, I was back in my childhood home. There were lots of people around, and one of my uncles was going back and forth from the door bringing things in, and it seemed to be a party. Suddenly my mother, in a long flowing hunter green dress, looking the best that I remember her ever looking, came out from the kitchen with a tray of appetizers. She had been an amazing cook. I watched her, a huge smile on her face as she walked across the room and set a tray on the coffee table. She turned to me then, that same smile, and walked up to me. I could feel the tears on my face as she took my hands in hers. I'm so sorry, Mom, was all I could say, but she pulled me into a hug. When she pulled me away, she wiped the tears from my cheeks and held my face in her hands and smiled at me. She didn't speak, just smiled. So warm and so beautiful and I knew she was okay. I knew she was telling me that everything was going to be okay. I woke with a jolt and sat up in my bed and it was over. But I know it was real. Just would like to say that I'm very proud of myself that I made it through all those stories without crying. Yeah. There was uh, there were some close calls there. They were all nice stories. I can see her grandfather Mario. Yeah. Like I can just see his personality filling a room. Yeah. And I can imagine that he was just an amazing man. Like an amazing man. Yeah. Yeah. They were just really touching stories. I like the idea that <clears throat> when people pass they can come back for a bit of closure I think for a lot of people that's really important yeah getting that closure mm. and I think it's beautiful you know and I think if if that's what gives you closure then who is anybody to to, to judge you yeah yeah absolutely. you know and lots of people say oh I saw a Robin and it was you know I feel like it's my grandmother and lots of people take the piss out of that and they're like oh there's so many Robins blah 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 but actually Christ if that makes you feel happy yeah about the death of a loved one then by all means like take that happiness from wherever you can find it yeah happy is probably not the right word but but no comfort comfort comfort. yeah Yeah, absolutely I've I haven't really got anything to say with that about those stories they're just they're lovely yeah and I will say that I do fully believe in dream visitations Mm. because I also experience them and I've had many a dream visitation where I have had somebody that's passed away visit me and I've just cried and cried and cried in my dream when I've seen them. And it does feel different than yep. a normal dream. It feels, it just feels real. Mm. Whether that's, and I, you know, what, whatever, whether that's your brain 
trying to comfort you I don't know but I do believe that those dreams are different so if you enjoyed this week's listener episode please feel free to find all our socials and where to donate to Patreon and our YouTube channel and all that stuff on our brand spanking new website which is reallifeghoststoriespodcast.com the link's in the description thank you to Janice, Natalie and Ali for your stories they were much appreciated and we shall see you next week bye bye